Hey guys, this is Mo Sider from the Detroit Red Wings. You guys listen to Lockdown Red Wings. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021, and we are joined by Tony Ferrari today from Dauber Prospects. You know him, you love him. He is everybody's favorite ball draft analyst. I'm Nolan Bianchi. We got Scotty Bentley, host of Lockdown Tigers and Detroit Sports Twitter savant staple uh, in the house today. It's going to be a good episode. We're looking at Mason McTavish and Scott Morrow, one of Tony's only players in the draft class that he likes so let's welcome man tony ferrari what's going on happy to have you man i mean everything you said was accurate from the fact that i'm everyone's favorite ball draft analyst to be hating everyone in this draft class pretty much um <laughs> no it's it's I'm, I'm happy to be here it's gonna be fun we're gonna talk about some fun players today i so you have been coming on this show for about a year now uh you get swaggier and swaggier every time i see you then today the drip is like almost distracting you you look I'm so sorry good. i'm sorry so, it's just, uh, i had to throw a hat on because <laughs> your favorite ball draft animals didn't really yeah. shave his head yesterday <laughs> it's like shit oh man all right let's talk about scott morrow because the detroit tigers just took maybe the biggest boomer bust pick in nhl history that's a little bit of an exaggeration but scott morrow would probably be the biggest boomer bust pick in this nhl draft especially if he goes in the first round and you are somebody that has said repeatedly do not draft the prep guys uh especially the prep defensemen but this guy breaks that mold for you can you tell us a little bit about why and where you have him ranked I have him ranked in the top 20 and I've had him ranked there all year. I think he's a guy that just brings so many different elements to the game that so many other top end players in this draft class just don't have. Like I think he has every element that every other top defenseman in this draft class has, whether it's Owen power or Luke Hughes, Brant Clark, even Simon Edmondson. I think he has all of those tools. The the things that make those guys special Scott Morrow possesses the one knock on Scott Morrow is the fact that he does play at the prep level. And, and it is one of those things where it's like, I've said it before. I've said it a bunch of times. I hate high school players. Like you don't draft those guys in the top three rounds. Your return on investment is generally fairly low with those guys. With Scott Morrow though, there is a special element to his game. And it's the fact that he's just, he's the best skating defenseman in this draft class, bar none. I I, I won't put Brant Clark over him, who, who there's form questions on, but overall his mobility is really good. I won't put Luke Hughes, who is just an exceptional, exceptional skater. I think at worst, Scott Morrow's on par with Luke Hughes. The, the way Scott Morrow is able to transition from side to side, front to back, his, able, his ability to stop and change direction on a dime, it's incredible. Like I, I'm not going to say he's Kale McCarr, but he has that Kale McCarr level skating. And, and that's what makes McCarr special. And that's what makes Scott Morrow special. There's elements of McCarr's game that he doesn't have. The offensive instincts, the, the just pure, unbelievable skill that Kale McCarr has. Scott Morrow doesn't possess those things, but... He has the elements that are there that you want in a, in a guy that plays his style of game. He's got size. He's the skating, as I mentioned, is ridiculous. And, and just his attack mentality. Like one of the things that really struck me with Morrow this year when I talked to him was I asked him, how much do you pay attention to draft coverage? And he, he looked at me, he goes, ah, I don't pay that much attention because anytime I'm not number one, I get a little upset. 
And it's like, whoa, that you're a high school player, but you're gonna say that? Like that's that ballsy. And I love that. The confidence in his game, the way he he talks about the, the defensive game and attacking the puck carrier. Like he's in attack mode all the time on ice. And, and that's something I really love about him. You talked about the return on investment not being there for high school players. Is that just simply a matter of uh, scouts not being able to correctly read their abilities at the high school level because of the competition that they're playing against? I think it it, it is a lot of that. And I think it's also the high school level is, is that niche that everyone wants to find their guy on. And maybe Scott Merle is that guy for me, right? Like mm-hmm. it's very possible, but the, the high school game, everyone seems to like every few years, I, this is my guy. And, and they <laughs> generally don't turn out. Like we look at guys like Casey Middlestad, who's been, who's drafted really high. And we look well, at other guys. Buffalo, that, so. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's <laughs> on its own. Doesn't count. Um, but you, know, you look at these high school guys that get drafted and, and they generally, they're fine players at times. Like they're good, but more often than not, they're guys that there's a reason they're not playing junior hockey in a, in a major yeah. way. Right. And so with Scott Morrow this year, I asked him that and there, there was, issues because of covid that prevented him from playing in the ushl this year and then this few stints especially in the finals against chicago that we did see him playing in in the ushl he was exceptional he was very very good probably the best player on the ice for his team and those little peaks yes they're super small sample sizes but man like those sneak peaks really give you the idea of what he could be and if i have him at 18 19 20 on my rankings all the time and that's kind of where he's been living for me but if he's somewhere in the 40s or 50s detroit has all those second round picks they grab this guy that's man i'd be laughing my ass off (laughs) so uh yeah i'm right there with and he's somebody that uh, because of like talking to you i would like had him somewhat pegged as like an end of first round care with that 22 pick like i uh, I think Dauber actually has him ranked right at 22. I think you guys do. Yeah. Um, but the, I, I mean, everywhere else I'm seeing him, you know, it's, it's in the forties and I'm like, yo, we got some picks in the thirties, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of chances to take Scott Morrow and for the Detroit Red Wings. And, and that's just so tantalizing to me. Uh, now you mentioned the uh, brief stint that he had with the Fargo force playing in the playoffs, six games played uh, no goals, no assists. That wasn't a concern for you at all or anything like that. It was not really because he's a guy that controls the game. He like, it, it sounds weird to say he's not necessarily an offensive defenseman, despite the the kind of style of game he plays. And especially when I, I talk about Kale McCarr and him in the same breath, uh, which in general is unfair to him. Let's be honest, but mm. it's one of those things where when you watch him on the ice, the way he's just able to command things, transition the puck is just incredible. And that's the name of the game in today's game in the modern NHL. If you have a defenseman, they can get the puck up to those skilled forwards. Like imagine Raymond and Larkin flying up the wings and, and Scott Morrow is the guy passing it up to them. Like you, when you get this, the, the puck to the skill guys, good things happen. And Scott Morrow is the kind of defenseman that does that. What uh, as a whole, like we talk about the the prep players, it, what is the hardest area to assess when you're uh, evaluating a high school player? Because they are going up against obviously a, a way lower talent pool. Is it more of a, a physicality thing or a speed thing? Just because they look, I don't know, like superhuman, like they're NHL player playing against prep. What specifically are like the hardest areas to keep an eye out for? For me, it's it's defensive play, defending the rush, because in the zone, you still get the guys that are big and strong, guys that played football and stuff like that. Like You still get those guys that are, are able to kind of push up against you and challenge you physically at this age group. But the, the big issue is 
you're not facing guys with the highest IQ offensively and mm-hmm. you're able to kind of defend the rush really easily. And, and that's an area where Scott Morrow knows he needs to work on because that is something that's going to happen at the next level. And when he goes to college next year, he's going to have to face that as well. So it's going to be something that n- needs work. But I think when you look at the tools, he's a guy like when we talk about Owen power, like there's flaws in his game that, you're like, okay, but these tools should project to be something special. Mm-hmm. And with Scott Moore, you have all those tools. It's just at a lower level. So again, I'm not advocating drafting him at, in the top five. At six, it'd be wild. But at 22, I think he comes into that conversation. You go, hmm, maybe. But then you go, there's a lot of other guys falling too. So let's grab one of them. And then in the thirties and the forties, like there's some opportunity there. And I think that's where you're going to be able to get Scott Morrow and, I, I've said it all year, but I think there's a legitimate chance that he's the best defenseman to come out of this class if if kind of everyone doesn't reach their ceilings. Just got to jump in here real quick to talk to you guys today about Spotify Greenroom. Scotty and I have been going on Spotify Greenroom uh, for a while now, and we've been in and out. We've actually we actually have a very special announcement about Spotify Greenroom that we're going to be announcing uh, on Friday's episode or maybe Thursday's episode. One of those two days. Uh, but we're going to start doing something really, really cool over the summertime that I think you guys are going to enjoy a lot. It's going to be a weekly thing. You know, some reading might be involved. We'll get into it more later on in the week. But right now, in the meantime, just go download the Green Room app for free right now. Currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NHL group for the latest league updates. And follow us at Lockdown Red Wings to be notified when our room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. We're planning to be live next Thursday. I think we might do uh, next Thursday. We'll do like the first... We'll int- uh, maybe an introduction, everybody can introduce themselves, things like that. But it's going to be a really, really fun experience uh, to do with you guys. I can't wait to see everybody there. Uh, so check out Spotify Green Room, changing the way that we talk sports. Also, got to talk to you guys today about BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It has been for a while now. If you don't know that by now, you should. But it's not too late to uh, get get started. Get on the Built Bar kick. And uh, with the freedom of choice that they have, uh, you will never run out of delicious Built Bar flavors to try uh, and, and eat every single day. My favorite right now is the salted caramel. I love me some 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 caramel. I love me some salted caramel. I mean, it's, it's, it's delicious. When you get in a protein bar, you, your brain's almost blown that you can be doing those types of things. So go to BuiltBar.com or go to Built.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off of your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar or at Built.com. Darren McCarty comes back with Neyman in front of him. McCarty draws. McCarty in. McCarty scores! A magnificent goal! Darren McCarty! I, uh, that's one thing I've noticed, too. We, we've been doing a couple mock drafts here at the Lockdown NHL Network. Be sure to go check those out, by the way. Um, I believe the Lockdown NHL podcast. Um, But... Like every time I do like a mock draft or I, I look at a mock draft or something like that, like the players who are available at 22 are always wildly different. And it's like, it's honestly like looking at a whole new draft class sometimes, or even just looking at the 22 through 30, like it's, it's, it's beyond crazy. Yeah, it, it really is. It's super open, especially once you get outside that top 12, it's there's kind of been a consensus top 10, 10, 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. But once you get outside that range, it's like, is Cole Sillinger going to be there at 13? Is he going to be there at 20? Is, is, is a guy like Fedor Svechkov going to sneak into the top 10 or are you going to be able to get him at 28? Like there's a lot of guys that can go all over the place. And then you have the wild cards. I think a guy like Ayrton Martino, a guy like Scott Morrow, like these guys could slip into that 
18, 19, 20 range. If a team really falls in love and let's be honest, we all know NHL teams and when they fall in love with a guy, they're going to take them wherever they feel like. (laughs) Okay. So that's actually what I was going to ask you next was the, uh, I guess, what's the, do you know, I guess what people are saying about him in NHL circles? Do they, do they have the same concerns about the, or not the same concerns, but do they overlook the same prep concerns that, that most scouts are, I guess, what's, what's kind of the feel. I think the feel on a guy like Scott Morrow is very much the same as it is publicly. I think I've talked to some scouts who have been like, man, like he's a guy I'd take a chance on towards the end of the first round. Like in, in those twenties, I think that's a good range to look at him. But then I've talked to other scouts who are like, I don't know, like there's a lot to love, but the the transition to the next level may not be as easy as it seems. So they are talking about second, third round, even like I I've seen guys where he, they're ranking him in the 60s, 70s. And you're like, okay, like, if you can get Scott Morrow there, I think you're going to be laughing it. But I, I think he probably goes somewhere in the second round. Realistically, I have him a little higher. A lot of teams have him a little lower. A lot of people have him a little lower. And it, it, it's going to be wild, this 20 to 30 to 70 range. <laughs> I, I, I literally can't wait. So right now, I would say uh, comfortably in the 40s range is where we can expect to see him. Uh, I guess, is there is there any big concerns for you uh, heading into draft day? Uh, for him for me i think the big concern if i'm a team looking to draft him is is this the guy we fall in love with every four or five years is this the high school Mm -hmm. player that we think we're smarter than the rest of the room on and and that's a concern for me as well but i i don't have as much skin in the game so (laughs) i I think the the big thing is it really is just hey how much of a risk are you willing to take and and if you're a team like detroit who has a lot of picks you're probably more willing to take that risk and if you're if you're a team like Toronto who has one pick every 50, 60, 70 picks, it seems you are probably not going to take that risk. You'll go with a guy yeah. that's a little bit more safe. So I think a, a team like Detroit is, is prime prime real estate for, for a guy like Scott Morrow. Okay. Here. I remember my question. Here's what I was going to ask. If like, if there, you have two prospects and uh, you know, everything else is equal. They project out to be, you know, a five to a five time all-star in the NHL, let's say. Um, and you think that that's his ceiling, but everything else being equal, if he is going to get to the NHL in three to four years, are you still taking him in the same place as you would if it would only take him one to two years, no matter what? I guess I don't know if I'm explaining that that thought process correctly. Well, I think you have to you have to kind of take a balance into it, because I think when you're looking at a player like that, the player that takes three to four years is probably going to be a little bit more risky. There's a little bit more of that Scott Morrow effect where, yeah, yeah you're going to, you have to rely on him to take three years at college probably before he realistically gets in your NHL lineup. And even then he may need a half season, in the AHL. Whereas if you're looking at a guy like Fedor Svechkov, who is very realistically, both probably in, in the conversation in the mid twenties, if Fedor Svechkov doesn't get jumped up and after Craig buttons, ranking him sixth and stuff like crazy, but um, sorry, I just had to call it Craig Button there. He's a, he's, a nice, he's a nice guy, but that's ridiculous. Um, yeah, but like if Fedor Svechkov is there at 22 and, and Scott Morrow is there at 22 and you're looking at those two guys and you're like, okay, well, Svechkov it projects out to be the second pairing or second line center. He's a guy that you're going to be able to rely on. Worst case, he's a third line center. He's a middle six guy. And then you look at Scott Morrow and you're like, okay, well, there's a bit more upside there. There's a bit more of that, that wow factor to his game do we take the risk or do we get the guy that we kind of need sooner? And it, it depends on the team you are. Yeah. I think Detroit's more willing to go. We we're not going to be good for a couple of years. So let's wait. Whereas again, like uh, I'm just gonna go back to Toronto. 
they're probably wanting a guy a little bit sooner. So they're going to more lean towards that guy. That's going to be two years and maybe not quite as high upside, but it's, it's a really interesting thing because it's it, even on my rankings, I, I do that. And I'm like, what exactly team am I trying to portray here? Am I willing to take the risk? And I, in my mind, I'm <laughs> yeah. In my mind, I'm always the worst team in the league, so I want to just take all the risks, and I, I enjoy I enjoy taking a little bit more on like that. All right, last thing here, betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Uh, I bet on the Home Run Derby the other night on betonline.ag. I picked the over. It was 519.5 for the longest home run hit. I picked 520, nailed it, crushed it. I got more of my winnings on the MLB All-Star Game tonight. I got the AL. I got the over. We're going to have some fun. We're going to let it ride. And you can get in on the action as well. The NBA Finals still has a couple more games left. If you want to make some money on the Suns, make some money on the Bucks. Uh, now is your chance. And then, of course, the second half of baseball. Everybody knows those games mean a lot more. Well, if your team is out of the action, you can make them just a little more interesting by pacing a little bit of money on each of their games. You know, wet the beak a little bit for yourself. So head to the website, betonline.ag, on your mobile device uh, to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for a 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Knocked down by Helm with an empty net. Scored and go. 65 seconds left. 3-1 Detroit. Darren Helm will seal it. I get a chuckle out of thinking about your introspections for some reason. I don't know why. I just feel like you're very uh, considerate about things like that. I try to be. There's too many people in this, especially in this industry, where it's like yeah. prospects, whether or not you're looking at MLB prospects, NFL prospects, NHL prospects, NBA, like it doesn't matter what sport it is. Every prospect guy thinks he's the, the shit. He thinks he's mm-hmm. the best. And he thinks he knows everything when realistically, like the best in the business, the guys that are working in the NHL are batting 30%. Like yeah. they're batting 300 yeah, at the best. Yeah. Most teams are batting 250 and they suck. So yep. it's like your success rate's only 25 to 30%. You're not going to be right all the time. Don't act like you are. Yeah. I, uh, I hope that every single one of the picks that the Detroit Red Wings make in this upcoming draft is uh, they are swinging out of their shoes at him. Exactly. Uh, because they just have so many. I just, I, I can't see a reason not to, but uh, we're going to talk about somebody who might be a little bit on the safer side. And that is center Mason McTavish Uh, one year with the Peterborough Peets one year with the Swiss league on loan with EHC Olton. Uh, He's six foot two, two Oh seven. One of the draft's biggest risers, even before the U 18 tournament that really kind of solidified him that, in that consensus top 10 that you referred to a little bit earlier. Now he's a top 10, a top eight, a top five guys in a lot of other places before we get into his draft stock in itself. Can you help us get to know Mason McTavish as a player a little bit? He's a great scorer, uh, put up some some really good numbers in that U18 tournament, like I said, uh, and his assist to goals ratio just goes stupid. Yeah, he's a guy that I, I really liked last year as like this premier goal scorer, the big power forward who's going to put up 30 to 40 goals at the NHL level. But outside of that, I was, I was really concerned about his mobility. I was concerned about his defensive game. A lot of people project him as a center, and I just didn't see that because that mobility really wasn't there. He was a little bit of a clunky skater. He was very heavy on his feet, stompy, stompy almost. It was it was really funny to watch. Um, I, I think the best comparison I can make is a guy like uh, John Tavares, where he doesn't look graceful out there by any means. And, and that was Mason McTavish last year, and even still a bit this year. But he's taken a lot, no pun intended, he's taken strides in his skating. 
this year where he he's really gotten much better. He's been qu- quicker. He's been able to kind of understand the best route to the puck a little bit better. And he's gotten stronger. And that's, that was an element of his game that I thought was not necessarily there because the, he was a big boy, but he was a, a bit of a chubbier boy a little bit last year. And, and that's not necessarily anything shocking. Every draft prospect is chubby when they're younger and they kind of lean out as they get older, but he hasn't lost the weight that he's while he's been leaning out. So he's a guy that, He's gotten powerful legs now. He's got the powerful upper body. He's able to kind of just physically dominate guys at, at the, the, the level he's playing at. And he was doing it in Switzerland as well. And that's that was against men. So seeing the improvements in him physically have really brought out the rest of the tools of his game. And that goal scoring is still there. I think he's, I, I've argued all year that he's the best player in this draft on the cycle, maybe outside of Fedor Svechkov, but he's a guy that you're going to be able to reliably look at and go, he's going to play an NHL game, whether it's at center, whether it's on the wing, it's in the top six or whether he's on the third line. Like this is a guy that I think you're going to be able to rely on for 20 plus goals, reasonably good minutes. He's going to play a two way game and be physical. He, he brings a lot of elements that old, old school hockey men love, but he's got the speed and the, the mindset of a, a modern hockey player as well. Does that include like the creativity and stuff like that? Because I think that might be a concern a lot of times with people about, uh, you know, the power forwards, the bigger guys is the maybe a lack of creativity, just trying to use their size in the lower leagues and and not really having a diverse way to to kind of carry the puck at the next level. Yeah, I think the big thing with creativity is is a lot of times when you think creativity, you think Patrick Kane, you think of this draft class, you think of a guy like Ken Johnson who's able to kind of do all these fun dangly things with the puck. Me as a hockey player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, me too. Um, but no, like Mason McTavish is a guy that, that he'll make creative passes off of the cycle. Like he'll, he'll send a pass through his legs while he's battling along the boards. Like he does little things like that, that yeah. don't necessarily come off as creative until you actually look at them. Um, there was a Gabe Velarde assist that was, that went around Twitter today, pretty big. Uh, one of the Kings accounts tweeted it out and it was just exactly that. It was him kind of cutting across the middle and then just sending a pass through his legs. It, it didn't look fancy on the f- initial feed, but when you watch the replay, you're like, Oh shit, Gabe Velarde. Nice. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's going to be the kind of thing that Mason McTavish does. I think Mason McTavish is a much better prospect than Gabe Lardy was even then. So it's going to be interesting to see where he kind of tops out. But I do think there are maybe some limitations to his playmaking. But as a reliable goal scorer who can kind of grind along the cycle, win battles in the corners, forecheck relentlessly. And and like I said, he's improved that skating and speed. There's not a lot to hate outside of really that creativity, maybe in in, in the playmaking. But I think he's going to be a solid NHLer. Uh, so what has happened uh, with McTavish as a whole, I guess, in the last couple of months and what specifically has he done recently to raise his draft stock even more? I think the big thing was when we went over to Switzerland, the first few games, it was much of the player we saw last year where he was kind of relying on that shot from distance. He was scoring, he was putting up numbers, but it wasn't like he was taking over the game. And then about five or six games in, you just kind of watched it click. And he just started taking over plays. He started taking over shifts initially. And you were like, oh, wow. Like he just dominated that shift completely against men. And then he would go in and he would come out the next shift and he'd be really good again. And you're like, okay, like he's putting series of shifts together. And then by the time he was done in Switzerland, he was just dominating games. He was maybe not on the score sheet every single play, but he was affecting the game defensively. He was affecting the game in transition. Um, I, I don't know if transition is going to be something he affects at the NHL level. Again, I still still do think there's a bit of limitations with that stuff, but he's not going to be a guy that you need on, on a line like that. You, you, I mean, imagine pairing him with a guy like Lucas Raymond or, or, or mm-hmm. Dylan Larkin or if, uh, Zadina, like, there are guys that can transition the puck. You don't need him to do that. And, and I think if you're drafting Mason McTavish, you go, 
we want to see what we saw in Switzerland. We want to see what we saw at the world under 18s where he did explode and become just a stud. He was the captain when Shane Wright was out. I think that was a rightful choice. He, he was arguably their best player outside of Connor Bedard and, and Shane Wright. So you look at this guy and you're like, man, like there's a lot to like there. He's a pro ready player and he's got that frame. The skating's improved. Like, I, there's not many players in this draft that I could say that you can put in the NHL next year, but if you were to toss Mason McTavish on a third line, I don't think it'd be terrible. I just still think he should go back for one more year. Uh, with the, so like, obviously the talk around Detroit is they got to find uh, an elite one C or they got to find, you know, Dylan Larkin is going to be that guy. They still need to find the guy behind him, whatever it may be. The Red Wings are looking for an additional first or second line center. They have Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen coming up the pipe. I think Michael Rasmussen at this point profiles somewhere closer to the third line, maybe bottom six center. Um, but I, I honestly, I will say this right now. I think I'm still have higher hopes for him than that. I believe in him. I, I think he had a very good season this year. You, but, you do. Uh, you do have higher hopes than him than many. <laughs> you keep believing fact. in him, yes, Nolan. You just, no, no, no. Okay. That is, I, that listen, is not a maybe. I, okay, that is a okay, factual. Okay. That is objective. That, let, me, let me say this. The rest of the world thinks he is a fourth line center. I think he's a middle six player. I appreciate your optimism. It, 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 <laughs> I think he, I think he still has a middle six ceiling. I will say that. Uh, okay, and and so, so they also have Joe, they also have Joe Valeno, uh, who kind of realistically uh, looks to be still projects middle six, you know, second or third line centers as well. Uh, how does his Mason McTavish's skill set? the the projectability the ceiling kind of compare to those other two guys i mean i guess we don't even need to cover michael rasmussen because i i can you know i I think i know what the comparison will be but i guess just joe in that case i mean with michael rasmussen he's basically Sidney crosby no (laughs) no i'm just being an ass no i i do think i think he's what people thought michael rasmussen maybe could be like on the most optimistic day i i I don't know if there was ever a realistic chance of that but I, i think Mason McTavish is going to be a good second line center if he plays center. I don't know. I don't think he's got the number one upside. I don't think he's got like the game breaking dynamic ability or the the kind of elite level two way game that you would need for a guy like that. The, you're thinking of a guy like Ryan O'Reilly or, or someone like that. But I think he can be a really solid, solid number two guy, especially with Dylan Larkin as a guy ahead of him. Like those are two guys that like you're like, OK, maybe they're both one B centers and that's good. Mm-hmm. And you go they bring very different elements to the game. Like if if that's the way you're kind of attacking the defense and waves, it's going to throw them off a little bit and you're not going to know what to expect from them. So I I think it'd be a really interesting mix if he can stick at center there. I still have my concerns about that. And I still think he ends up on the wing. I know I'm one of the very few people that say that, but I think his mobility has improved enough to say that he can play center. I think there's a lot of optimism going forward as to if his mobility has improved this much, it can still come. He's still only 18. Like he's got time to improve. And if he does, I think he could be a really solid power forward number two center behind Larkin, kind of that thunder and lightning mix. You uh, said something that's very interesting and that I agree with you um, about the good balance between, you know, the different type of player of Larkin and McDavish. Like if, if you're going into this thinking, okay, maybe they have their, number two center now and like that is their plan um 
what do you like about the adaptability of McTavish's game? Because I think one of the things that makes that system work is the fact that Dell Larkin can do a lot of different things. He can go out there one year and, and be a 30 goal scorer. You can tell him go, or you can, you know, tell him to dial it back. His, his points are going to suffer a little bit, but he's going to, you know, produce like hell on defense and he's going to be your captain. Like you're still going to get a lot of value out of him. What do you like about McTavish and maybe an adaptable role? I think that the fact that he can play, uh, he can lock down a defensive play. I think he, he, you can ask him to do that. If you want to let Larkin run wild, you can say, all right, Mason McTavish, you're going to be the one matching up against the top line, kind of trying to play that two-way game. And I think he can do that. Or I think you can go, hey, let's go score 35 this year. Let's go challenge 40. Like he's got the shot. He's got the scoring ability in tight. I think he can do that, especially if you're able to kind of put him on the power play where he's a guy that plays in that. I don't like saying guys are bumper guys because I feel like the bumper guy is the forgotten guy at the power play, Mm -hmm. especially at the NHL level. You look at whoever gets put there ends up kind of not having the production they're used to. But I think he's a guy that adapts and, and kind of anticipates play well enough that he, he pops out of that bumper when you kind of want the guy to do that. He has that anticipation, that kind of knowledge of when to do it. And I think that's how he can get a lot of production too. So even if you do have him going, hey, you're a bit more of a defensive guy, you're, we're going to let Larkin run wild ahead of you. It's okay because Mason McTavish is going to find ways to produce. And even if that is primarily on the power play, the, the stuff he's going to bring physically, the stuff he's going to bring defensively. And, and I, I still think he's going to be able to produce offensively at five on five as well. So you're going to get a good player there. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to go, Hey, like with Larkin, we can go, Hey, you're going to score 30 this year. Or, Hey, you're going to get 50 assists. Like you can do that with Larkin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can go, Hey, McTavish, like we're going to make you a playmaker this year and just toss two snipers on your line. Like I yeah. think he's going to need a, a guy that's maybe the uh, a playmaker, maybe the, maybe you find a guy that's a bit more of that transition playmaker. I, I, I don't even know who I could think of right now, but there's a lot of guys that can play that game and Mace McTavish doesn't have to. So if, if you don't have to put him in that position, I'd pr- it's probably best not to. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in for today's draft profile with Tony Ferrari. Thank you to Tony Ferrari. We actually have him coming back on tomorrow. We're looking at two other guys, uh, Dylan Gunther and Chaz Lucius. Uh, you guys aren't going to want to miss that. Another pair of forwards that the Red Wings uh, could or, or very much in play for the Red Wings, uh, whether it be at six, whether it be at 22. Maybe it be maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe they end up somewhere in the middle. You don't know. I don't know. Uh, so we're going to talk to them about all that. It's a great episode, uh, of course. Be sure to subscribe. It's the only way to make sure that each and every morning when you wake up, there's a new episode waiting for you and ready for your morning commute. If you have positive feedback, Feel free to leave us a review. If you have negative feedback, feel free to send me a DM. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. You're locked on Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.